0: Really, all aspects of our life kind of being in this big, remote 2020 soup has, I think, taught all of us in our work lives and outside of them a lot about empathy and humanity. This is Aaron May.
1: I'm John Henry Forster, and this is Awkward. Silence. Silence. <laughs>
0: Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Awkward Silences. I'm here today with none other than JH Forrester. What's up, JH?
1: We'll see how this goes. Just the two of us. No, uh, no guests. Just, to lean on today. Yeah.
0: No guests. Just the two of us. Uh, great. So it's the end of the year. End of what can only be described as 2020. It was just the 2020th of I don't know. It was. It was. It was a tough one. What would you say, J.H.? Yeah,
1: I think a uh, different year than probably anyone had imagined, right? Hard to guess things would have gone the way they did. Um, so I think we were talking about before, though, right? It's, it has led to a lot of, you know, breaking of norms and seeing things through new light. And so I think there's been, you know, there's been some silver linings in that regard.
0: Yeah, I think uh, dumpster fire with silver linings is probably probably the right characterization of the year. Um, awesome, so today we're gonna do you know something we don't do a lot. We don't have a guest, we're just gonna chat about uh, the year in review, some trends and topics of conversation that have dominated the UX and UX research space and talk a little bit about what might happen next year. Maybe a fool's errand, but it should be fun anyway. So thanks for joining us.
1: All right, where do we start?
0: All right, so 2020, there were a lot happened this year. There was and is coronavirus, of course. There was and is racial injustice and a lot of attention uh, paid to that. There was a presidential election. There was an economic meltdown that has disproportionately affected some more than others, there were design sprints. amid <laughs> all that and figuring out how to do them remote instead of in person on a whiteboard. Uh, There's a lot of change to how we work and how we design and how we talk to users. Those are some things that come to mind for me. Where should we jump in, Jage?
1: I think maybe just to start on a lighter note, you know, how people have had to adapt to doing things remotely that they didn't used to do remotely, right? Whether that be finding ways to conduct their research sessions over calls, and they used to bring people into their office or a research lab or, what, or you know whatever it may have been. I think just all of that stuff has been fascinating to me. Obviously, the the other topics you mentioned are, are super important, but I don't know how well we're going to be able to do them justice versus maybe some stuff that's you know we've been a little more connected to in, in our day-to-day work.
0: Sure, yeah, it's been, the remote stuff's been interesting for us. We're a remote company. We've been remote, you know since the beginning. 70% of the research our you know customers have done through user interviews has been remote research. So from that perspective, it wasn't a huge shift for us personally, but we definitely spent a lot of time trying to help our researchers translate some of their research to a remote setting. For all of us who are used to working remote, but not necessarily at home with our families and such, with us, so there've been a ton of adjustments there. But yeah, I think it's been it's been neat to see how how other companies and UX researchers, in particular, have adapted to this challenge of remote work. And to the silver lining point, you know, we're huge believers in the benefits of remote research from access to a diverse pool of participants to the ability to do research more agilely and more quickly uh, to get answers so tons of benefits to remote research but certainly challenges as well
1: yeah and I think the you know change in the office space so to speak right has like brought more of people's lives somehow into their work a little bit right like you're taking a call from your living room and You know, your spouse or a kid walks by or your pet's in frame. And I think with all of that and like everyone's under a lot of stress just because they don't have their normal outlets or, you know, their child care is messed up or whatever. It feels like people have started to find a way, even in more like older traditional organizations, to find a way to be a little bit more comfortable with those things and and respect people's mental health and and what they might have going on in their lives and stuff. And so there's been some cool evolutions in that regard, too, that aren't just about the remote work, but, you know, the insight you get into what somebody might have going on and and how they might need support because of that.
0: Yeah, I think, you know, it's been a year full of so much paradox. And one of those is we've never been more apart, right? But at the same time, there has been something so humanizing about that lack of boundaries in terms of, I can see your kid on the Zoom or in terms of, you know, now my work is more part of my personal life. And there's, you know, there's a lot of drawbacks to that. But there are some positive in terms of, I am not work Aaron and mom Aaron, I'm just Aaron, and it's all mashed up together. And not just work and personal life, but really all aspects of our life kind of being in this big, remote 2020 soup has, I think, taught all of us in our work lives and outside of them a lot about empathy and humanity.
1: Yeah, there was just a lot from when we spoke to Vivian Castillo earlier in the year that's kind of stuck with me about the mental health and well-being and taking time for yourself that is your point about just it being a little bit more humanizing like there's been times right with my team or direct reports or whatever this year where it's like you just feel more comfortable saying like hey, I'm kind of having a tough stretch, you know, like mm-hmm. this is going on, I got this other thing, can we like, you know, can we bump this or can is it cool if I get back to you a little later and like I don't know, I think historically that's something I would have tried to usually put like a happy face on, right? And kind of act like it's a normal day and go through. And there's, I think a little bit of that freedom and license is, and to talk about that stuff is is nice if uh, you're in an environment that supports it.
0: Yeah. And I think vulnerability is one of those things where you can, like as leaders, really model that behavior where it's okay to to be vulnerable and to be open about how you're doing in COVID times or otherwise, and that it can almost, now you can move forward and get work done, Uh, which is not to say that the expectation is that everyone's going to be 100% themselves or productive in these really challenging times, but that there is a lot of benefit in kind of putting that baseline emotional state in what you're carrying around out there and then being able to, to move forward uh, with
1: that. Yeah, totally. So I think in that bucket, you know, I think it's been one step forward, one step back. You know, it's there's there's been, I think, a lot of difficulty with not being able to get your team together in person or having to mess up your normal routines or norms. But I think people have found some really clever ways of working around that and have been forced to try some new things and maybe have been a little more human in the process. So I think that whole category to me feels like one where, like, I think when we get back to some normalcy, you know, hopefully in the coming months. You know I, I hope that we're able to take away some of the some of the good aspects that were learned from that stuff and, and keep those around
0: yeah what what are some of the good aspects what do you think have been positive changes you've seen
1: uh that's a good one I think realizing that a lot of stuff is more resilient than you might seem right like to your point about like design sprints or whatever if you've never done one remotely and you don't think it's gonna work maybe it doesn't work as well or maybe you have to do it a little bit differently but like I think teams have found ways to work right and people are creative and you know ingenuity comes out and stuff like that so I I think there's like I think everyone learning that and seeing it is a really powerful thing of like oh yeah we got Mm -hmm. in a spot that was very different than we expected we didn't you know we couldn't deploy our normal playbook we had to figure something out and we did and like there was parts of it that we actually really liked and we're going to try to like keep some of those things around you know what I mean it's like I guess some of that resiliency and ingenuity has been has been a cool part that's one of the first things that comes to mind how about you
0: yeah, well, no, so you're making me think about, we were talking before a little bit about you know, designers and what is design and like, are designers going to save the world and is that too much to ask, right? But I'm just thinking about how when you talk about rethinking how can we work together to solve problems, it's really a design question, right? Of designing a better way to work. And so in a way, I think designers are uniquely equipped to design better ways to work for themselves when, uh, new constraints present themselves. So, yeah, I think that's good. I think resiliency is always important and a, certainly an important skill this year and beyond. We talked about, you know, the value of, of humanizing each other, I think has been good. And I think, yeah, to, to bring it back to some of the, the bigger topics that are happening in the world this year, having those hard-to-talk-about topics that don't necessarily seem uh, germane to the work at hand enter the workplace, I think, has been really positive because whether we want to talk about it or not, people are bringing that with them. So as an example, the racial injustice that has been happening literally since the beginning of, you know, Our country and and before that but has kind of come to a head this year in really important ways i think that there have been a lot of people out there are kind of raising their hand saying this is happening this is happening pay attention to it whether we want to talk about it or not i am dealing with this and i think that's something that a lot of people really realize for the first time this year and is critical not just in being a better ally to the people that you work with, but also to designing more inclusive and like really inclusive, not just like as a checkbox, but who are we designing this for and how might we not be including different races, genders, physical abilities, whatever it might be by not taking a broad enough or truly empathetic enough approach to to how we think about designing. So I think that's been really good. I think a lot of the good things about 2020 have been really hard and uncomfortable, but I think we're going to be a lot better off all of us for some of that uncomfortable reckoning.
1: Yeah, I think in that whole like social responsibility sphere just to put like a, you know, broad label on it, right? It does seem like there has been more of a willingness to have some of those conversations, you know, whether we're having those conversations correctly, or they're leading to the right changes or output, I think is still, you know, you can put a pretty critical lens on that, maybe. But the fact that you just, it's, it's becoming more common, and it comes up in different contexts, and people feel more comfortable bringing it up and, and, you know, chatting through some of those implications, whether it's, you know, when you're designing something, and it's very, it's a very specific trade off that you're trying to assess and, and understand if that's okay or if it's something you know a little bit bigger than that it, it just feels like we're getting there where it's like kind of okay, okay to talk about you know what i mean and it, it does really feel like that's the first step in in some respects and it's it felt it feels like a lot of that has been like kind of willfully ignored prior right like cause to your point obviously all these things were in the world and existing but you know you didn't see them come up uh as much from you know ux research thought leaders or in conversations you have with colleagues at work and stuff right like it's it just out there more, and that that feels like a positive change, even though there's a lot to still do, right? That's that feels like a meaningful step.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And you know, we had Randy Duke on the show earlier this year to really engage with a lot of these topics. And we also made a huge effort to bring more black voices onto the podcast in general. And I think what was great about that is look, we're doing this imperfectly, but but with good intentions. And Every episode that we've done has not sort of been about, you know, the experience of being a Black designer or about uh, racial injustice, but those topics have a way of coming up when you deliberately try to get voices that are thinking about those those things. And so I, I think the solutions to these social and racial injustice issues are big and are going to take a long time to make meaningful progress toward but keeping them deliberately top of mind is i think really really important in getting to those solutions
1: yeah and i think as you know user research gets a bigger seat at the table in different organizations and you know is more of a part of planning whether that be from generative research or whatever right but it's more infused in the company leadership and stuff like that i think my hope is that you can get to a world where it's early enough or it's it's happening top of mind enough where it does impact like what incentives are set for individual designers and product managers and stuff. Just because when I think of like, when you, when you see people like nitpick a pattern or something in an application, right? Or in a, in a network and say like, look how damaging or bad this is. I always wonder is like, I feel like maybe the product manager or the designer or whatever who, who are working on that kind of like knew that maybe there were going to be some downsides or some externalities to the thing, but they were so strongly gold and incentivized, uh, you know, around creating whatever outcome that they decided to do it. And that incentive was set without this broader awareness, right? And if if like the research and, and some of those insights had been had been available when people were deciding like, hey, what's the goal for this team or what should we have them focus on? Like maybe they could have been incentivized in a more holistic way or something like that, right? Like I, that's there's a lot to unpack there, but does that kind of make sense? Like I feel like I feel like sometimes I sympathize with the end like designer or PM or whatever, who maybe is like making some very granular feature trade-offs just because when you're in a big org and you're expected to do a good job and you have this clear goal, like sometimes that can get kind of warped and it, and you don't always, you know, necessarily make the right decisions in that in that case. All right, a quick awkward interruption here. It's fun to talk about user research, but you know what's really fun is doing user research and we want to help you with that.
0: We want to help you so much that we have created a special place. It's called userinterviews.com slash awkward for you to get your first three participants free.
1: We all know we should be talking to users more. So we went ahead and removed as many barriers as possible. It's going to be easy. It's going to be quick. You're going to love it. So get over there and check it out.
0: And then when you're done with that, go on over to your favorite podcasting app and leave us a review, please. Yeah, absolutely. And I think to the sort of paradox and in, in, um, the pendulum kind of swinging back and forth on various things continuously, when you think about like the Social Network, which was a big documentary that came out this year.
1: Social Dilemma.
0: Um, thank you. Social Network's been a few years. Aaron I mean, also a also great, yeah. great film. Hanging out. Also a great film. Let's just talk about Mark Zuckerberg for a while. But yeah, so the Social dilemma uh which came out and was pretty busy obviously there's been you know a blowback to that and a blowback to the blowback as all of these things go but i think you know part of the idea there is you've got you know what was it 10 years ago 15 years ago where growth hacking was all the rage and it was like we should be designing not just to make things pretty but to actually have business outcomes but it got a pretty bad rap because it was hacky right is like okay Yeah, but like, is that good for the user? Is it actually good for the business or did we just, you know, make some new trade off of one metric for another metric or whatever, right? And I think that end designer who in that situation is just optimizing for trying to hit some kind of hacky metric you know, there has been uh, a blowback to that. And you've seen growth hacking turn into sort of more holistic growth teams that are bringing user research and user experience and like good intentions into the fold. But it is hard for an individual designer to say, I'm gonna like solve social injustice um, at the same time. And I think that there, a lot of the, Responsibility is top down on making sure that there are good counter incentives to um, the bottom line that ensure that what's, you know, good for humanity, and that's obviously a large thing to say and isn't like a binary thing, but that there are hedges against just making a quick buck that designers are allowed to pursue
1: yeah, I just yeah I just don't know how you manage it, right? Because if you're tasked with, you know, on a streaming service or whatever, right, increasing engagement and you're working on the interface and the recommendations and all that sort of stuff, and you come up with some ideas that, like, you know, and you experiment and you see them move, like, there's a part when you're that zoomed in on the problem and you're the person working on it that, like, your first thought is just like, all right, we did it. Like, you know what I mean? Like, we got people to listen longer or to watch longer. And I think, like, unless somebody else is helping guardrail it with, to your point of countermetric or a broader perspective or whatever, you know, it's just hard, I think, to, to ask the individual contributors to, to bear all that responsibility. I think people are doing a good job. And I think the fact that it's becoming so prevalent in how people think about the work now within design and research, that that's, it'll probably just happen to some degree anyways. But, you know, if you're the designer working on, like, the YouTube stuff you might not, you just, you're so close to the problem. You might not realize that like, oh, the way that we got people to watch longer was because we gave them like increasingly incendiary recommendations or whatever. Right. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. that's, yeah. that's just the hard thing to unpack. And so I think whether it's metrics or, or getting some of that broader like user input higher up in the leadership funnel or whatever it is, um, excited to see how that evolves and plays out in the coming year. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. We, so before, before recording this, we read the, what is it? The UX, Design Collective, UX Collective—they do an annual kind of trends report. Everyone does annual trends reports. Most of them are not very great, but I happen to love this one. I think they do a fantastic job with it every year. This year they did a hundred lessons to think about for next year, and I liked a ton of them. But one that stuck out to me—that's you know related to what you're saying, JH—is design is business our job isn't to make people's lives better our job is to prove to our stakeholders with our work that caring for customers actually leads to better business and i know this is something you talk about a lot jh which is that if you can tie the quote-unquote right thing to do to a business outcome then you can get it done and I think the idea, like, sure, we have B Corps out there, triple bottom line, you know, companies that have in their charters some kind of social responsibility. That's not every company. And and every for-profit company does need to make money. And so how do we show that research, that design can help us create better experiences, make better decisions that will translate to dollar and cents? You know, that's, that's what design can do. And you can do that while also creating products that you can feel good about. It makes me think of an episode we re- recorded with Kate Moran from Nielsen Norman Group, where she does a great job of really connecting how do you show the value of the design that you're doing in ways that I think maybe a lot of design leaders are, are used to thinking about, given their seat at the leadership table. But are also, I think, really useful for that end designer to have in mind where, yes, I'm optimizing for whatever metric, but also being able to kind of thread that difficult to thread needle at times of creating a positive user experience and at the same time uh, moving the business forward.
1: Yeah, and I think what's challenging there is right is one, to get those things aligned, not always possible, but I think usually you usually can find opportunities. Right. But two is then you do need to get the right stakeholders engaged and motivated so that they can champion it, right? Because it's usually going to be like, you'll get a seed of users, you know, don't like to buy stuff online because the return experience is so painful and they need to, to do that. And like
0: mm-hmm.
1: that type of insight, like, right, like and Zappos has been in the news a lot uh, with the unfortunate passing of, of one of their founders, has been like, Their whole business is around like, we're going to make returns and customer service like so delightful that that will become, Mm -hmm. you know, an advantage for us and that will differentiate us from other online vendors. And so like take like an insight like that and to like pull it into an actual business strategy that becomes a competitive advantage and something you're known for takes takes a lot of marshalling of the right people and the right, you know, things to pull together. And so like knowing how to, when you find insights like that, knowing how to partner with people in your organization to, to actually like move them forward is, is super important. And I, I think that there's been more emphasis placed on that lately, which is encouraging.
0: Yeah, absolutely. What else are you thinking about this year?
1: I mean, this one's been around a lot too, right? But uh, accessibility I think has been deservedly getting a lot more time in the conversation and in becoming a little bit more of like a fundamental piece of, of how designers and, and product folks and researchers view and think about their work. So that's that's been a really encouraging trend.
0: We had uh, Kat Noon on our show earlier this year to talk about accessibility. She's the founder of the app Stark, which is an accessibility tool. But I do think this was a sort of tipping point year in how we think about accessibility, not just in its importance, but how do you, how does it become part of the designing workflow? And I think you could sort of liken it to several other hot topics, research, research, diversity and inclusion, where the point is that they can't be afterthoughts. I mean, they can be, but they shouldn't be afterthoughts. They need to be embedded throughout the entire process. That's how you get a good result that doesn't just have, you know, the right colors or whatever thrown on at the end, but instead you're asking those questions of if we wanted this experience to be inclusive, to be accessible, How would we do that every step, right? Well, when we do our research, we're going to make sure to talk to people with, from different backgrounds with different abilities. So it starts at the beginning and then it just continues throughout the entire process. I think that's been the big sort of theme around accessibility this year is not just that it's important and not just like these like five tips on how to be more accessible, but really, again, that more holistic, longitudinal, making it part of every step of the process.
1: Yeah, it feels like it's just becoming a more, like, it's a fundamental part of what these, you know, roles and responsibilities need to deliver. Mm -hmm. And it feels like it just, to your point, just is more woven into that fabric in a way that, you know, probably should have been all along. But it seems like we're starting to tip there. Whereas like, it used to be something people would talk about or think about, or to your point, if if we can get to it, we'll get to it. And I, I think it's starting to become just like, this is just part of it. And and hopefully we'll continue to see that momentum in the right direction. Do you have thoughts on things that are likely to be a big part of the conversation in the UX world in 2021?
0: Yeah, I think, you know, I think a lot of these same topics will be around as I was saying with accessibility, that has been a topic for, you know, my three years here and and long before that, but how will those conversations change, and where will the emphasis change? I think, you know, we've people are starting to get the vaccine. I think as we speak, but it it, it seems like it's going to be, you know, through next summer, fall before there's, you know, before things really start to to return to quote unquote normal. And then, you know, we'll in the public health sphere and just the day to day life sphere, will we continue sort of wearing masks and exhibiting some distancing behaviors, traveling less for work. I think so. I think, you know, I think next year looks different than this year for sure, but we're still very much in the zone of, of what we've been experiencing. And so I think that's true for all sorts of things we've been talking about. The, how do you do remote work effectively? How do we grapple with some of these social justice issues? How do we build a more inclusive and accessible future? So I think those conversations are not going anywhere, which I think is a really good thing. My hope is that because of that, because those conversations continue, that we'll make more progress in finding solutions that uh, are in line with those values. So I, I expect to see that that pendulum, the, those solutions moving in the right direction.
1: How about you? Yeah, I don't know. I've been I've been thinking about it. I think th- this may be not like super widespread, right? But like, I think in industries that have been really devastated, you know, like restaurant or retail or travel, all those types of things, as stuff does start to shift back towards some normalcy, I do wonder if there's going to be kind of like a new set of approaches or experiences that need to be designed from, you know, a research perspective and a design perspective and everything else to help people kind of like ease back into those things. Like how do you help people uh, feel more comfortable, you know, being back in a store with other people or, you know, going on a trip and stuff. And I think like understanding what matters to people and what, what motivates them and what fears and anxiety they have about it is, is going to be an important part of how you help get some of those things back up and running in a safe way that, Let's people bring along. I know everyone's like, in some cases, maybe it'll just snap back. I'm not sure. But I feel like there's going to be a lot on the research and design front in some of those specific areas that um, will be cool to see what comes of that and and what clever stuff people are able to come up with.
0: Yeah, I think that's a really good point because this year has been full on, let's like remote everything. So it's been kind of a land grab for who can design the most, most compelling remote experiences. But next year as a Transitional year, kind of out of this, out of this, but with the reality, right? That, like, not to be the doomsdayer, but that maybe another pandemic will happen someday. (laughs) And how are we going to react to that one? I think it'll be a very transitional year, and the idea that we're going to need tools and technology to adapt to. Not even a return to how it was before, but yeah, I think you're right. I think there's a comfort level concern with being in large group, being in restaurants. What's the risk factor of various things of returning to socializing with people in real life, right? Like we've been able to connect. Thankfully, this all has happened now and not 20 years ago, right? Where we didn't have Zoom technology, which imperfect as it maybe is certainly something Yeah, like, do we need the help of technology to be able to hang out in real life again? Or will we eschew our cell phones and just all get rid of them? (laughs) Because we'll have missed being able to be together in real life. And there was this kind of budding, put your phone away at dinner, right? And look at me and I'm here and let's just like be present and engage with each other while we're here in real life. Obviously, I don't think anyone's actually getting rid of their phones, but I am... (laughs) What does technology look like when we're lucky enough to actually be together again? Will we want Will we want to kind of actually put them aside for a little bit? Because every social interaction we've had the last year has been mediated by technology. Or will we not know how to handle it? <laughs> will we be like, I don't know how to just like talk to a person and, and not have a screen?
1: Yeah, you know, you know what's one that's in this space that I'm not sure if this is this is how companies will approach it, but I hope some do. So maybe somebody will listen to this and be inspired. But um, you know, like we were talking earlier about like doing something that is makes good business sense and is good for individuals, right? One thing I've heard a lot of, or you see a lot of, is companies that are downsizing their offices or giving up office space because they're going to plan some like hybrid, you know, remote situation going forward, right? Where people will spend two or three days in the office and they'll rotate. And so you get to see your closest collaborators in person a couple of times, but you don't have to, you know, commute to the office every day. And it feels like something like that, there's a lot of promise to it. But I'd imagine you could do that in a way where you just put like your facilities team or whatever and just like, hey, we're doing it this way and just like divvy it up. And like, those are the rules versus doing it in a much more thoughtful and like intentional way where you actually like interview employees and, and understand how they would like a situation like that to work and what's important to them. Because you can imagine that like, you know, part of that probably means you don't have a dedicated desk. And so every time you come in, you have to find a new space. And so you can't like leave stuff at the office. And like, maybe there's a lot of concerns around that. Or, you know, I don't even know. I haven't done this research, obviously. But it feels like something that should be a win-win. Like employees get some time back and have a little more flexibility, but they still get to see people, you know, companies get to spend a little bit less on office space, which is obviously very expensive. But I feel like some places are going to do it in a really ham-fisted way. And if they just talk to their employees, they could make it like much, much better.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. I don't know. I think you know. For you hear a lot of people. I've seen surveys, informal surveys, uh, about this. You know, when when we're able to, assuming you could, go back to work in real life, do you want to go five days a week? You know, four days, fully remote. It seems like the plurality want to go back some of the days, but not all of the days. But I, you know, I work for a fully remote company. So self-selecting audience here, but I do think there's uh, a ton of value to kind of going all or nothing on that where having been the person who's, you know, the one remote person for the day or worked in companies where you have like the one marketing person on the opposite coast. So you have to spend 20 minutes like figuring out how the, Jabra or whatever is going to work in the conference room to get them dialed in and then they feel like they're second class citizen in the meeting. I don't miss that at all. I think for me, there's uh, a lot for to the really optimizing for one thing or the other. But that being said, I think flexibility is really important too. So I don't know how you square that circle or whatever they say.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what that Looks like, and what's right for different you know companies and their culture and their employee needs and stuff. But uh, I just feel like it's something that people are going to get pretty wrong. And if they took some time Uh to to put in some research and be thoughtful about it, they could actually do it really well. You know what I mean? And so I'm curious to see what comes uh, what comes on that front.
0: Yeah. Well, people are doing a lot of research this year. That's for sure. You know, we we saw that in in our work. You know, in March, hit. I think everyone kind of panicked. I don't know. (laughs) March was an interesting period and as, as I mentioned, we have, you know, what, 30% of our research happens in person. So that was gone overnight, but I, it bounced back. And I think folks are in the UX research capacity and a market research capacity and in other kinds of research people are doing in their lives. It's certainly a time to take a step back and not just like a one-off take a step back, but to constantly be reevaluating what's in front of us. And none of us knows um, not even you and me, JH. What's going to happen next year? And I think research in all all forms is the way to build some confidence in, in finding the best opportunities. Whether that's designing a good work experience for for your team and colleagues, or a great product for your customers.
1: Yeah, yeah. There's something about this year that has been like I feel like just for me, one of the clearest examples I've ever had of how like flawed or biased you know our thinking can be like when you think about like the predictably irrational stuff or right behavioral economics Mm -hmm. all that kind of stuff of just like in march to your point of like when stuff started shutting down and and we really started to take stuff seriously and hear about this like how scary and how like paralyzing that period felt like just for me personally but like when you actually looked at the data at that stage it was bad but not like that bad whereas now (laughs) like quantitatively it's worse than ever and you just see these horrible records getting set every day and it doesn't feel as scary anymore you know what i mean like you just get it's weird how people can normalize the stuff and like what data or what signal we pick up on when and like i just think you know i think just within research sometimes right you think of like if you get the right data or you get the right insights you go share them everyone's going to kind of react to it the same way and just i don't know there's just been something about this that just has like reinforced for me that uh we're not always the most rational (laughs) beings and The way we process stuff is really nuanced and independent on so many factors.
0: Yeah, that is for sure.
1: Yeah, so. But yeah, I mean, what? 21 days to the new year or whenever this comes out, like and then everything's fixed. So we're uh 2021. (laughs) (laughs) Just turn the page and
0: well, hopefully that's one of the things we've picked up this year is a little humility. Happy end of twenty twenty. Thanks for listening to Awkward Silences, brought to you by User Interviews.
1: Theme music by Fragile Gang.
0: Editing and sound production by Carrie Boyd.